Amen. Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say. That's the title of this sermon. When you pray, say. I want you to say it with me. When you pray, say. That's it. One of my favorite preachers uh, who we happened to meet a long time ago is activist, professor, theologian, Reverend Dr. Tony Campolo. He's, he's older now. One of my favorite stories that Tony Campolo tells, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, is about his son whose name is Bart. And I guess when Bart was around seven or eight years old, <clears throat> he, he walked out into the hallway before bedtime. You guys have heard this story before, I think, some of you. And, and he stands in the middle of the hallway and he goes, Ma, Dad, I'm going to be praying. Anybody want anything? And it's one of my favorite stories because to me, it's the perfect embodiment of how many of us were raised to view prayer. I'm going to be praying. Anybody want anything? Uh, I'll do what you're not supposed to do when you preach, and that is to give you the meat of what I'm trying to say up front. And that is simply the primary purpose. And we say this all the time. The primary purpose of prayer is not to coerce God into doing our will, but to form us, to be transformed into Christ's likeness so that we will do His will. So it's not about getting us to do, getting God to do our will. It's about getting us through prayer to be transformed so that we will do God's will. It is not so that we can say, I'm, I'm going to be praying, anybody want anything? Prayer is not transactional. Prayer is transformative. It is not transactional. It is transformative. I come from a tribe that defined prayer, and maybe you did too, as simply talking to God. And I, I like that. I think that there's something there. Many times I find myself simply talking to God. But where I think that definition falls a little short is how it reduces prayer down to another category of, and listen to the language here, it reduces prayer to the category of spiritual activity shackled to a culture of personal originality and spontaneous individuality, which then becomes malformed prayers, right? These are prayers with the self at the center. Prayers that are more characteristic of a child's wish list for Santa Claus or a honey-do list at home than faithful praying. Prayer seen this way can be viewed as a way of harnessing what Brian Zahn calls harnessing omnipotence for the self, for one's own desires. This type of prayer mirrors a consumerist economy, a materialist culture. Uh, you guys ever seen Pinocchio? Right? So you got, uh, is, what's his name? Geppetto? Yeah. And he's got strings attached to Pinocchio. And you can't see Geppetto, but you can see the effects of his strings. And I think so many times what we call prayer is really a marionette type spirituality. Where we think of our prayers as upward ascending strings to try to manipulate God into doing what we really want him to do. That's one critique I would offer of the tribe that I come from. But the tribe that I come from also highlights those who believe, they believe to be, here's, here's a word, ecclesial exhibitionists of prayer. Meaning folks that are really good at praying in church. And the tribe that I come from, uh, they call them forward, these individuals, in high church moments to perform their prayerful exhibitionism. And the tribe that I come from also has a special name for people that they consider to be efficacious. 
when it comes to prayer. Folks who like to pray long prayers or maybe, this sounds crazy, but these are people who they believe are very productive in their prayer life and they call them prayer warriors. And so we have these ecclesial exhibitionists and in our communities of faith we have prayer warriors. Here's another one. The tribe that it comes from has been known to start what they call prayer chains, which to a certain degree is rooted in, in the belief that if we accumulate a critical mass of prayer, then the divine is forced to act. Side note, at best, this is a unifying communal activity, and at worst, it's just another way to gossip. Um, but this way of thinking about prayer denies what Christ reveals to us about God, and that is mainly this. Critical mass, God doesn't need it. He's good enough on his own to not depend upon you and your critical mass uh, to, to be good. He is good all by himself. And the minute we start to think that it's our participation and our efficacy that makes prayer what it is, we rob God of God's power, of his goodness, and we transform God now into an unjust judge. Remember that story that Jesus told? We transform God into an unjust judge that we now have to really, uh, would the word be like pester? We have to get God to act through these things. So many times we feel like the prophets of Baal, calling on the name, on, on their God, from morning till noon, crying, and then when crying didn't work, cutting. And I can't think of a better metaphor for the way many folks in the church view their spiritual life, getting God to do what they think God ought to do. Meanwhile, Elijah says 60 words in roughly 60 seconds, and fire falls. Not because of Elijah's heightened spirituality, but because of God's abundant goodness. So let me say something clear, something pointed. I find it to be a little hypocritical that so many Protestants harp on medieval Catholicism when this superstitious, transactional approach to prayer is just as much present in our evangelical, charismatic, and reformed churches today. And by the way, we will always miss the mark when the truth we're trying to speak towards is the infinite, it's what I'm probably doing right now. What I'm trying to say here, poorly, but I'm trying to say, is that that same kind of superstition exists in our Reformed churches today, in our Protestant churches today, because we do still carry within us this transactional approach towards God. If I do a certain thing, if I get enough people to do a certain thing, if I act a certain way, if I will just do X, Y, and Z, then God will be forced to act. And that is the same type of thinking that exists within the Protestant church as did in the medieval Catholic church. Okay. Wow, this is great. Um, I, I think it's appropriate that I'm also completely transparent by confessing that a part of me still struggles with this. That I still find, even in a crazy way, I find some validity in that kind of thinking. And I think it's important to note that my heart still deeply loves and cherishes this culture. In spite of the fact that I've seen many people scarred and hurt and burned out by this, but at worst... They completely walk away from this kind of spirituality because when it fails, and it always does, what always fails is this. I think I can get God to do what I want God to do if I just perform a certain way, right? It's performance-based spirituality. That will always fail you because there is always going to be that loved one who dies. 
There's always going to be that person that you got the whole church to pray for, that you had the prayer chains going, you had, it, you had everything at high operation, and that person's still going to die. And here's what happens. I was at the doctor's office uh, a year ago, and I was having this wonderful, it started wonderful, conversation with somebody who was funny, he was great, and somehow he brought up church, and then his tone changed, like, like very quickly it changed. And he said, I'm done with church, I'm done with God, I'm done with prayer. And he said it real quick, in a very factual way, like, I'm done. He was angry. And I said to him, why? What's the deal? And what he told me is exactly what we've been talking about. We got the whole church to pray for my grandparents. My grandparents were the most loving, kind people in the whole world. They they served, they gave, they prayed, they prayed. Everybody was praying, and they still died. And he was angry. And he said, and I'm not going to serve a God that would let my grandparents die after they prayed and after the whole church prayed like we did. Folks, this view of prayer as a transactional account with God will not only hurt the church, will not only hurt those you love, it's going to hurt you and drive you insane because prayer was not given to us to create some sort of transactional balance with God Prayer was given to us to form us so that we can enter into the divine and become more like Jesus through the various means of grace that God gives to us. It is not here so that we can become Geppetto and that God can become our Pinocchio. Prayer is here so that we can be formed. Prayer is here, and I want to make this as clear as I can. I'm probably dropping the ball. I'm probably not preaching this the way I ought to. But beloved community, please hear me when I say this. The primary purpose of prayer is not to coerce God into doing our will, but to be transformed so that we can do His. Prayer is transformative, not transactional. It is not so that we find an efficient escape hatch from the realities of life. Life is going to happen. It will happen to all of us. But prayer is given to us so that we are formed and rooted and anchored to Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, who promises not to get us out, but to be with us through it all. It's not to rescue us and to get us out, but to be with us. He is with us through it all. Christ himself knows what it's like to have unanswered prayer. In the garden. He prayed. I mean, think about it. Here's God coming to us as God's revealed self, praying to God, and God does not answer God's prayer. The theological weight of the fact that Jesus prayed a prayer that God did not answer should really transform the imaginary pretenses that the church has. But because we have believed in pagan prayer, and this is what I'm saying, indulgence is pagan but so is the superstitious approach to prayer that we find in the church today and this might be harsh but I believe it to be true we have to look at God in the flesh not answering God's own prayer but here's why Jesus didn't drop the ball right did he pray an unfaithful prayer nope because he winds up the prayer with the most faithful prayer you could ever pray which is this but not my will but yours be done That's the perfect prayer. Is this all right? I'm going to try to finish this up. Maybe you're like me. Growing up, I treated prayer as a genie in the lamp. I'm going to be praying. Anybody want anything? 
Transactional. I probably still do. I probably still do. And that's just me being honest from this pulpit. I probably still pray this way. But my heart is to echo the verse that we read today. And that is every day I want to enter before the divine and, t- and ask Jesus himself, Lord, teach me how to pray. pray. Praying is not just talking to God. Because guess what? If I'm left to my own devices, I'm going to drop the ball. I need Jesus to teach me how to pray. And I love the fact that Jesus loves us enough not to leave us to our own devices. And when we echo the cry of the disciples in Luke 11, Lord, teach us, He does teach us. How does He respond? He doesn't just answer with, talk to God, but instead He gives us a fixed form of prayer. Y'all know already that the reason why I'm here is because I see the Spirit moving within fixed form. And it makes a lot of people that, that I interact with on a daily basis question me because they never have seen the Spirit in the fixed. They've never seen the Spirit moving within fixed form. But if the Spirit didn't move within fixed form, we'd never have Jesus. Because the Spirit came and it gave us a human being that entered into history in a very fixed way. If you don't think God can move within fixed form, you're denying the incarnation. And dare I say, you're playing with some very destructive thoughts about God. Jesus didn't shun a fixed form. He became incarnate and was made man, as we say in the creed. But then the fixed form of God coming to us in a tangible fixed way also gives us fixed things like teaching. You can read Matthew chapter 5 every single day of your life. I promise you, as much as we as charismatics and Pentecostals love spontaneity, Matthew 5 is never going to change. It's fixed. But the Spirit is, you're never going to read it the same way twice. Because the Spirit's always going to be moving in that fixed form. This is why, if you're like me, we come to the table and every week we say the Lord's Prayer. And some people might say, oh, that's just ritualism, that's just routine. No, it is the form Jesus gave us to pray. And in that fixed form, the Spirit moves and we discover new life. It's the womb of God coming to us hovering over us and creating with us a new creation. The Lord's Prayer. The Didache, which was written in 50 AD, it means teaching. It's one of the oldest documents within the church. It actually tells all disciples of Christ to pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. Three times a day. If you pray the office with us in the BCP, you will pray the Lord's Prayer frequently. And what is the Lord's prayer? God teaches how to pray. Lord, Jesus Christ, teaches how to pray. And Jesus answers, when you pray, say, Our Father, you are not an only child. (laughs) Our Father. God is our. We need more of that. Less of me language in the church, more of our, us language in the church. Our Father. You're not the first one to do this. We don't start and end prayer. We enter and exit prayer. We are in a community praying to God continually around the world. You're not by yourself. Our Father. Father. It brings God near. Intimate. Daddy. Abba. Our Father. Who art in heaven. He has authority over everything. Everything is under His feet. Everything is under His rule, His reign. Uh, The prophet said, and the train of his robe 
fills the temple. When a king would conquer another kingdom, he would take the robe from that king and add it to his train. Every time a king would conquer another kingdom, he would take that robe, stitch it to his train, stitch it to his train, stitch it to his train. And by the time the prophet sees God, he said, I saw the Lord and his train fills the entire temple. What does that mean? Every government, every source of authority, everything is underneath him. He, he is ruling and reigning over it all. Jesus then, post-resurrection, says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Who art in heaven? Oh. <laughs> Who art in heaven? Enough obsessing over these earthly rulers. No matter how arrogant, absurd, violent they may be, they are still subject to one who is higher than them. Hallowed be thy name. Praise. 50% of the Lord's Prayer has nothing to do with you. It is all about God. You can never make God too big. And when you pray this prayer in that moment, hallowed be thy name, this is your opportunity to stir up your beliefs, to stir up your trust in God, and think about who He is until your heart is overwhelmed. It's a practice. Thy kingdom come. God is healing and redeeming everything. His kingdom is coming. And, and don't just think it comes in the big things, my friends. It comes in the small, everyday things. His kingdom is coming. Thy will be done. Give up your power. That's the only thing that's going to make your prayer faithful, is if you include that in, the, in there. I'm asking you, God, for this, but in the end... I know that I'm human enough that my prayer might actually be unfaithful. So let me wrap this prayer up with something good. I've just asked you for things, but here's what I really need. Your will. Let your will be done. On earth. On earth. This is what the evangelical church has missed in certain ways. On earth. We are not saved to get us out of here. This is not some sort of beam me up Scotty thing. We are saved so that the kingdom of God and the will of God can come and arrive on earth as it is in heaven. This is an incarnational idea that God's kingdom is coming in the here and now, not the sweet by and by in the sky when we die. It's here. It's absolutely here. Give us this day our daily bread. Continual reliance on God. This might be a little bit controversial, but I'm going to say it. We should never store up so much that we don't have to rely on God. Let me say it this way. If you don't need God's provision, you're a hoarder. Let me say it one more time. Say it for the, for the people listening on the internet later on. If you don't need God's provision, you're holding on to way too much stuff. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive. May we realize, God, that we cross the line all the time and that the line between good and evil does not run between political parties or partisan groups or any human denomination, but right through the heart of every human being. In other words, we need humility. Lord, we cross the line. We trespass. We go places we shouldn't go in thought, word, and deed. Yet you forgive us. Therefore, we too forgive and let me just pause here. This, is be, this would be a great moment. Who do you need to forgive? You can't live in this world and not have somebody that you need to forgive. Who did you wrong? Let me, let me put it to you this way. Who is evil to you? Who's really jacked up, right? 
It could be someone you know. It could be someone you don't know. But whoever that person is, if you can't forgive them, it tells us that you have a very low understanding of your own forgiveness. Do you know what God has done for you? It is from that position that you can then forgive. And if you think you don't need forgiveness, may I introduce Jesus to you? Maybe this would make our country look different. Lead us not into temptation. Lord, deliver us from the time of trial. Don't ever feel bad about asking God to get you out of a bad situation. There, uh, listen, suffering is great, and, and, and we are formed in our suffering, and it's how we know Him. But don't ever feel guilty for asking. Like, if you reach that point where you're like, God, uh, Lord, have mercy. If anything, just have mercy. Help me, help me, help me. Don't feel bad about that. You're not, you're not sacrificing your spirituality because Jesus even said, let this cup pass. And so if you find yourself there, that's a faithful prayer. Lord, let this cup pass. Lead us not into temptation. From the, lead us away from, give us a detour to trial. We don't want to learn everything the hard way. There's got to be a way for you to get us around this. Experience is overrated, God. <laughs> we desire your grace and your mercy. And then finally, for thine is the kingdom and the power. Now, this part, a lot of what I've said isn't in Luke's gospel. I'm done. But a lot of it isn't in Luke's gospel. We kind of take Matthew and Luke and then we put them together. But this part is interesting to me. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Where do we get that from? We get that from David. We get that from David. David had this tag. It's, it's in one of his prayers. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And I think it's the best way to finish the Lord's Prayer. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And then we were singing it all today. Forever and ever and ever. I like how the liturgy says, as it was in the beginning, is now and forever shall be world without end. Amen. And amen. Thank you for listening to the Sacred Commons podcast. You can find out more about us at our website, thesacredcommons.com. If you feel connected to this ministry in any way, we appreciate your support. We appreciate your partnership. It helps us continue to do this work in the city of Youngstown, where we are happy to be launching a new church plant. Finally, why don't you come and join us for a service? 323 Wick Avenue at the beautiful St. John's Episcopal Church. We meet in the chapel. Come and worship with us. We'd love to see you there. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.